Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. Have Sister Lonnie come and teach tonight. And uh, we're just going to open our hearts and receive in Jesus' name. It just, is this good or do, do I need to push it back or, okay, all right, I'll let you deal with that. So before I begin, hi, Sister Toby, I wasn't sure if you were going to make it with all the rain. I'm glad you're here. Woohoo! <laughs> um, I feel like God has given me this bushel basket full of jewels to bring tonight. That's the only way I can describe it. And I wish for a lesson visible, visible thing, I had a huge crown with jewels in it, because that's how I feel, what I feel like I'm bringing to all of you folks tonight. It's overwhelming. But I need you to help me pray that this privilege be used so that I can speak in language what he's given me in a way that you can hear the same thing. Okay, so if you could help me, I want to bring him glory in this. Lord, thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the marvelous, glorious privilege you've given me of bringing these jewels to these very precious people. Thank you for the word that comes forth to bring life. And Lord, I ask you, please, that the life you've breathed back in me, that you use this vessel, I surrender to you, use this vessel to breathe this life into every one of them that are here. And every one of them that will hear when they listen after this service, I thank you for the privilege. And I give you the glory and the honor. Let every word be spoken by the language of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, um, the title of my message is More Roots. <laughs> More roots. Um, the, we're in the third quarter, and the third quarter of Be the Church's life. Am I right? Well, what God gave me to bring, I was just blown away by the way He put it all together. Um, literally. I just, none of this came from me. I'm not smart enough. Um, but I, this is going to be supernatural, practical living <laughs> in the way of life bringing it down here on earth so that everybody else can see what it looks like and breathes like and talks like and moves like so that as they see us, they can see Jesus and walk straight into those doors. All those people in that line will be coming in. So um, we're going to go to Second Peter 1, and I'm going to read from um, verse 2 through verse 11, Second Peter chapter 1. And it's where we started in roots long ago. Second Peter. I didn't write. This is the only scripture I didn't write down. I typed them all out. I have to 
pray these allergies away. Okay, 2 Peter, chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Make, and I am not in a KJV. Okay. May the grace of God and the peace of God, which is perfect well-being and all spiritual prosperity and freedom from fears, be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. For his divine power has given unto us all things that are suited to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. I sure did right there. Whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence, meaning be all the more solicitous and eager to make your calling and your election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. And that word fall in this context means you will not stumble and fall by being offended. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Thank you for your word, Lord. So this is where we started before months ago, but I'm coming to you in a different pot. Sister Bonnie reminded me weeks ago how if you have a small plant... Remember, I had my tree in here, my little tree. If you have a small plant, it can only grow as big as the pot that it's in. But lo and behold, if you take that little plant and put it in a bigger pot, the roots get bigger and the plant gets bigger. Well, I have come to you to say, I'm in a bigger pot right now than I was a couple months ago. <laughs> I have been transplanted. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. So... Um, I have something I, I want to review a little bit since it was so long ago. I want to remind your memories of what we, the, a basic um, covering of what we talked about before. But there was one verse that kept bugging and gnawing at me. I don't know if it happens to you, but like a, it gets a craw in your, and it won't let you go. It just keeps on, you're doing dishes and you think about it, and you're weeding garden, and you're driving, and you're pumping gas, and you're thinking about it. Hello. Um, and so that verse was, he hath given us unto all, he, his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And I kept thinking like, so what's all the stuff that he gave to us? I totally brushed over that when I was teaching before. I just didn't even, it didn't even connect. And God kept just digging it at me. And so I started digging this out and I started asking, so what did you give us that pertains to life and godliness? If it's not the food on the table, what did he give us if he's given us all things through his divine power? I have 20 things that I have come up with. I'm sure there's 50 more, but here's the top 20. He's given us his name, his blood, his Holy Ghost, his word, his love, his light, his life, 
his truth, his gifts, his purposes and plans, his grace, his mercy, his power, his authority, his strength, his joy, his healing, his peace, his sound mind, and his blessings. And if that ain't enough to get you through this, something's wrong. Is that not awesome? <laughs> and all those things are feeding your roots to make sure that they're strong. He's given you everything to make sure your roots grow. So now on to, I just thought that was awesome when he showed me that. So I want to review a little bit about our roots. There's some people that weren't here when we discussed them first. Um, so if we remember, roots are the core issues of our lives that cause us to grow. And we participate in the divine nature by these roots that God's growing inside of us. And we cannot bear fruit if you neglect the growth of the roots. If you remember, I was long ago and far away, I used to study just the fruits, but God showed me without the roots growing underneath, the fruits don't come up on top. Hence, I've got really good rooted tomatoes this year because there's a whole lot of fruit. But last year, I, I barely had tomatoes, and I thought, what's the difference? I had such shallow roots last year that it, how could they have been born? So we need to remember the roots growing in us will automatically grow the fruit out of us. The type of plant above the ground and visible to everyone else is determined by what's going on underneath where no one sees. So what we think and what we believe are who we become and our minds and our hearts are that battleground. And that's where the roots are growing. So um, I am going to help you a little bit, I hope, become transformed by the renewing of your mind tonight. In Romans 12.1, it says to do that. So we learned that the tap root is the first root that comes into the ground, and all the other roots come from it. And the tap root we learned last time was the love of God that's buried in all of the promises of God. And we need to be firmly rooted and grounded and established in that love that he has for us because that becomes our identity. A tomato root grows a tomato plant. A, a melon root grows a melon plant. We need to have that root of our identity because if you don't establish that main root first, all these other roots are never, ever going to grow. So I encourage you, I strongly encourage you, until you get that root super strong, please keep digging out those promises. Say them out loud. I still have to say them out loud. And, and I think it's a good thing. Like, I have grown so much being in this church. I love the Lord. He is so good. But, I, you know, I still repeat those promises. Here it is, Lord. This is my identity. I have to remind myself and I have to remind the air around me and all the demons that are coming around me. Listen, here's my identity. And we need to do that. We need to establish that root and we need to keep it growing stronger and stronger. So that root is the acceptance of the love of God and his promises make it strong with faith. But there are other roots in verses... Verses 5 and 6, there are seven other roots. I thought, I didn't see this before. Seven, isn't that something? And pastor, what does seven mean? You're always asking us. 
It means perfection. Is that not awesome? There's a tap root, and there are seven other roots growing from us. So when I, when I was asked to teach tonight, I knew, I said, Lord, I will say yes, and it's probably roots, right? I could just hear him giggling like, what do you, you know? <laughs> but I didn't know what to do, and he said, you just seeking, seek me, and I will show you some glorious things in this. And when I saw that there were seven roots, I thought, we are perfect trees in him. A taproot of love and seven roots holding us stable in the ground of God. We're perfect trees. Isn't that awesome? It just blows my mind. So then he told me what roots to talk about, what the specific root to talk about tonight. And I was like, uh, I don't get it. That's for women. And you'll, you'll understand that in a minute my understanding if it was for just women. He said, no, I want to show you something. We're going to talk about virtue tonight. Virtue is the first root mentioned after we establish ourselves in the faith and the promises. Virtue. It's the first one. He said, look deeper. The three following it, you have to have virtue in order to build the next three, knowledge, temperance, and patience. And all four of those roots are private growth. They happen in the confines of your private space, in the confines of your family, in the confines of your home if you're single, in the, in the confines of your quiet times, in your prayer times, in your study times, and... And in those times when you're just thinking, not just praying. And, you know, it, virtue grows in everyday life in your private places. And then the last three start with godliness. And Pastor already asked me to teach next week, so we're going to learn about godliness next week. But after godliness follows brotherly kindness and charity, and without godliness, you can't even start doing brotherly kindness and charity. And they are public growth. Isn't that incredible? The first four build us, and they're first. You have to have them built first in our private growth, and then God can build the public growth. It is incredible how he has put this whole thing together, and all of us can understand, even us slow learners. So um, tonight I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you about virtue that, with things that God has shown me over the years. But remember, Peter said to give all diligence. Give all diligence. Let me tell you what diligence means. It's conscientious, focused effort. It's a thorough and attentive effort to be industrious and earnest in your zeal in all of your business dealings, whether at the family level or out in the public level. And diligence is having the haste accompanying that zeal to achieve it without neglect so that those roots manifest so that they show up in your life. Diligence is effort, constant effort. So we have to keep that in the forefront of our mind while we're growing these roots. So virtue, here we go. Before I get started on this, I want to tell you where virtue started with me. So um, 
everybody that has known me the last four years knows that I, that I was not born into Pentecost. I was not raised in Pentecost, and I got kicked out of the family when I became a Pentecostal. My mother was like a penny who. It was just, it was not heard of in our circle of life. Um, and yes, they let me come back in after a while. But, um, but I got saved, and here I am, a young woman of 22, and I had just, I got saved in May and got married in July, and, um, and I'm like, okay, I don't know how to be a godly woman. My parents raised me morally, and they were good parents, but they didn't, this was not the ruling force in my family. This was not what we all ran to. We ran to family tradition. We ran to being good people, doing our best. But I, I was clueless. So the, for the whole first year, I had this anxiety about, am I being a good enough woman in God? You know, <laughs> like, I don't know how to do this thing. And I came from a family of doers. You know, my dad always used to tell everybody, I have five movers and shakers. There were five of us kids. And they taught us how to move and shake. And we moved and shake nonstop, 24-7, you know. Um, so I was, oh, I was very anxious that first year about how to be a godly woman. So after the first year, uh, you have to know this piece, the Lutheran churches that we were raised in uh, frowned upon you reading the Bible at home. Let's just put it that way. So we didn't, it wasn't natural for me to read the Bible at home. This was all new to me that I got to read the Bible at home and study. <laughs> so after about a year of being married, I decided to, quote unquote, put myself back in college. I had quit college to get married um, before the degree was finished. So anyways, I decided to pretend I was going back to college. And every Tuesday and Thursday night while my husband worked second shift, I would go upstairs to my desk. I asked Pastor Thompson to tell me all these resource books. I went out and spent the money and bought them, lined them up on my desk. And I would sit there every Tuesday and Thursday from 7 to 8.30 going to college trying to figure out what it meant to be a godly woman. So I studied all the women in the Bible. And then one day I found Proverbs 31. Whoa! It was a gold mine. And I spent the next three years taking notes and in-depth study about what a virtuous woman is because Proverbs 31.10, Connie says, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. Woohoo! Now I'll get to learn how to be a godly woman. Well, when the Lord said you're going to teach virtue, I was like, uh, all I know about virtue is how to be a virtuous woman. How am I going to teach the men? And he said, dig deeper. Well, are we not the bride of Christ? Ah, and did not Peter tell us to develop the root of virtue? So I am going to bring you Proverbs 31 and just some of the lessons I learned um, from a standpoint for all of us to become virtuous, all right? And I'll tell you some of my foibles and... Uh, twists and turns in learning it. I wish I had my original notes. I, when I left the church, I thought really that I was never going to be loved again by God, so I burnt all my notes from those first 10 years of marriage. I literally put them in, I watched them go up in flames. I wish I had them now, but so you're going to have to get this revised version. Um, no, it's a more mature version. God's taught me a whole lot. Let's do it that way. All right, so what is virtue? Let me tell you what virtue is. It is strength and honor when you conduct your life's daily choices in private and in public. 
This is what God taught me long ago. It's nobility with strength of character that does not change depending on the situation you're in. It's holding steady to the mature standards of God and conducting myself appropriately and intentionally. It's revealed in wealth and property because it focuses on that which demonstrates what you can do with your skills and abilities and how you apply them, not keep them hidden. It demonstrates excellent wisdom in using your resources, in dealing with yourself, and in dealing with others. It means you're capable, you're a valiant warrior, Juwan. In prayer, we were just talking about that. Um, it also means that you are influ influential in your circle of influences. And we all have four levels of circle of influence. You can study that on your own. But um, it means that you are living with such self-respect and strong, noble character that you are influential to the people that are around you. It's efficaciousness. That is my favorite word in all the world. And I learned it doing this study. Is that not a beautiful word? Efficaciousness. It just flows off your tongue. This is what it means. It means the ability to affect and produce something with the results that you wanted. The ability to affect and produce something with the results that you wanted. It's a capableness and that it, the capableness increases in capacity as it is used. So as you grow in virtue, God allows your capacity to grow. Is that awesome? We're all growing in capacity. You don't think about that. But we're growing in capacity in prayer. We're growing in the capacity to reach people. We're growing in the capacity of maturity so he can trust us to get this work done in this last days. It is moral excellence and goodness. It's not perfection, but it's striving for excellence. It's not perfection, but it's striving for excellence in all that you do. And Brother Tucker, my excellence is going to be different than yours because our skills and ability levels are different. But within our own capabilities, we do what we've been given with excellence. And as that little effort of excellence starts being applied to what we're doing, it then can grow. And our excellence grows with it. And our skills grow with it. And our capacity grows with it. And our capabilities grow with it. And so do our responsibilities and our maturity. And that's God's goal here with virtue. Here's another key. Virtue is dynamic power. It is not static. It is movement and motion with purpose and plan. It's dynamic power. It's movement and motion with purpose and plan. It doesn't mean that we have to move every moment like my family. I wish so many times that you guys could meet my family. And you would say, phew, I need to go home and take a nap. 
not just the adults, but the kids. I could not keep up with my dad when he was 82. Uh, it's just, our family was just constant movement. But God had to teach me as a young woman that I didn't have to move all the time. I was allowed to rest. Resting was not allowed in our family. It just wasn't about, if they found you resting, they found you something to do. And there was always something to do. But God had to teach me that virtue it has a place of rest, not ease, and I'll get into that. But you can rest, you can be still, you can take time to meditate, you can take time to breathe and get refocused. So the movement is with purpose, but not necessarily constant. It's the code of conduct that you live by, and it deals with your internal locus of control. It's how you value yourself according to what God says. And until you grow in your own sense of value and worth, you will never be able to truly value another person with the respect that they deserve. And virtue makes the room for that. Because how do I know how valuable you are, precious Lindsay? until I understand the value God's placed in me and who I am. Because until I get that, I'm going to compete with you all the time to make sure I have a place. But as virtue grows in me, I understand I have value and I have a place. And it's not what you're doing, Toby. But you have the place that's been given as a precious gift to you. And virtue allows us to do that. Essentially, it deals with the quality of life, but essentially, that deals with faith. I think that's marvelous when God showed me that this time. Essentially, it deals with the quality of our life, but essentially, the quality of our life deals with our faith levels. So start growing in faith, and your virtue is going to automatically grow. So that's what virtue is. So what does it look like? I want to, I don't want to take up too much time here. Okay, so what does it look like? So here we go to Proverbs 31. So I'm going to give you a few of the verses that I remember and I was looking through. I want to tell you something. Doing this uh, set of lessons, I feel like I have come out of spiritual amnesia. I cannot explain it any other way. I remembered all those days I walked in those scriptures out in the garden thinking about them over and over. What does that look like? Reading about them in as many resources I could find. What is it going to look like in my life? How is that going to manifest with me as a stay-at-home mom and as a wife? And what is it going to look like in my home and in my speech and in my outlook and in my way I reach out to the world? I remembered all those lovely memories that got lost in the war. And I feel like I am breathing in my sense of value and worth that I once knew again. I am so overwhelmed with the grace of God and how he does it. I could hardly wait to get here tonight. Like at work today, the girls were like, so what's pumped you up? <laughs> 
I'm going to church tonight. Uh, okay, that's not your usual attitude. I mean, like, I love going to church. <laughs> you know, I could only wait to get here and come share this with you. So here we go. Proverbs 31. I'm going to show you a few of them from verse 10 through 31 is virtue. Remembering that this is for all of us because we are the bride of Christ. And although this is from a woman's point of view and from a biblical agrarian woman's point of view, I'm going to bring it to today for all of us, if you don't mind. Okay. And I'll show, share with you some of the huge mistakes I made and how God brought me back in to teach me the right way. So some of it's very humorous. Ugh. Okay, so number one in Proverbs 31, virtue assumes that you live from the knowledge and understanding of your true identity in Christ. That's the first thing God taught me, was virtue assumes you live from the knowledge and understanding of your true identity in Christ. Virtue is efficacious, and virtue is bravery in hard times and courage in the face of all foes and those that want to bring you ruin. It's doing the right thing and the good thing for the right reasons in the right times always. So having said that, we are going to come down to Proverbs 31, and I'm going to go to verse 30 first. You can follow along in your Bible if you want, so you can see what it is. And all the ones that we don't talk about tonight, you get to go home and study out for yourself and have the fun that I had. So here we go, verse 30. Let me, I wrote them down here. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. I got stuck on this one because I came from a family where beauty counts and I was not it. <laughs> it just is what it is. I have gorgeous cousins. Like they won Miss, a couple of them won Miss Ohio kind of thing. I mean, we're talking high level fins of gorgeous people. You know what I'm saying? Um, so when you grow up knowing you're the ugly duckling and hope you grow up to be a swan, uh, this one was like, well, that's good. Virtue isn't there because <laughs> that's a really good thing. I've finally found my place. <laughs> I even called my mom on it. She goes, I said, Ma, it's in the Bible. Beauty is vain. It's empty. She said, Lonnie, what are you reading that for? So you get where I'm coming from with my family, but that's all right. All right, and charm is deceitful, but a woman that fears the Lord shall be praised. This is at the end of it, but it's the summation of it. That's why I'm starting with it. The fear of the Lord is the condition driving the virtuous person's heart, mind, and soul every day, every moment, every thought. The fear of the Lord is a deep respect for God, and it underlies every movement that you make. Is this going to give him honor? If I go in there, is it going to honor God? It, the, uh, no, uh, learning these really changed the way, the places I went. And, and you know, I didn't go to bars anymore. Uh, already, that was a, a given. But it even changed, like, where I went shopping and stuff. I know that sounds crazy, but there were just some, let's just use the word risky, risque, places that had nice tops that I liked. But then, you know, people see you in those places that sell other things, too. They're popular around Cleveland. What can I say? But... Um, 
Anyways, you know, like, so there was a sexual innuendo on those stores. And so can't I get those shirts somewhere else or at least make them or, you know, make the shirts I like so I don't have, I mean, like, even simple things like that. That sounds silly, but the Lord used that to even t teach me that virtuousness watches, watches your steps so that you reflect God everywhere you go and everything you do. And I'm not trying to judge anyone tonight. I'm just telling you some of the things that God had to deal with me. And you all know my past came from a not good past. So some of this stuff is specific because I came out of alcoholism and sexual perversity. God brought me out of that. So he had to make some delineating lines for me of, you're not crossing that one anymore. Um, so, and also, the fear of the Lord says that your heart and your spirit are full of another world and kingdom, even when your hands are busy filling the needs in your sphere of influence here. Your heart and your mind are filled with another world, even while your hands are filled with busy work, you know, things that keep you occupied down here. And I had to make that shift. I was, um, before he taught me this part, I, because of a lack of knowledge, I was compartmentalizing. I know that sounds silly, and it's now you look back and it's like, how ignorant can you be? But I didn't know how to take the stuff I was getting in church, and we were fed well. Brother Thompson was an excellent Bible teacher. But I didn't know how to take it out of that compartment and put it into the kitchen or the grocery store. I didn't know how to put it when I went to have coffee with Felicia down the road. I, I know that sounds silly, but I, I just couldn't, I didn't know how to shift it from one place to another. But then when God taught me this, that it's okay, your heart and your mind is filled with what, lo what God loves, and so you learn to love that too, and you love him so much that you want to stay in that, and, and he taught me how to take that thinking into all the other compartments of my life, so it wasn't just in one place, but it became spread like peanut butter all over it. And it just it shifted the way I conducted myself. It shifted the way... Because I was always afraid, do I go to the neighbors or not? You know, like, if I go there, I won't be in God. So if I stay at home, I, immature thinking. But that's how I was thinking at that time. So that's what, it broke that thought on mine. So I hope that helps you a little bit about the fear of the Lord. So it's an overlying umbrella over all the other scriptures. So 31... 31 was, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. This one stumped me for a long time, a very long time. So <laughs> coming from farmer stock, we were always farmers, the fruit of your hands is what's growing. <laughs> I don't laugh. The fruit of your hands is like, you know, what you're doing out in the garden. And I know this sounds silly, but man, I was lacking in a lot of knowledge. And God had to show me that the fruit of your hands is everything you put your hand to do. Yours is in your AC work and your heat work. Yours too, Raymond. Whatever you're putting your hand, it was in the dinners that I was making and it manifested in healthy meals for my family. I, silly, you, we don't think about it, but the small things like that, God's watching. 
Men, they, what you put your hands to at work, if you're putting excellence into that work, the fruit of your hands, you'll always be found to be a leader at work. I'm just saying, wherever you go, if you put what you're doing in your hands to excellence, it doesn't have to be fruits and vegetables, whatever you're putting your hands to, if you're putting those machines, Donnie, to a level of excellence, you'll rise up to be a leader. It's in the Bible. Um, they'll be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, in Deuteronomy. Because excellent co excellence covers everything you do, and people notice it. Now, some people get jealous and start cutting you down, but that doesn't mean you move out of your thinking of excellence. You apply it to everything you're doing. And this is the other thing God taught me about this. Let her own works praise her in the gates. He said, if you apply yourself to virtue and grow in your own self-efficacy, then you will receive honor from people outside because they will see the results of what you do and it's always for goodness and it's always for righteousness and it's always for the best of everybody around you. So that's the end of it. Now let's get to the fun stuff. Um, verse 27, she looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. I chewed, okay, that was a good pun, Sister Burke. You should have been laughing. I chewed on this one for a while. She eateth not the bread of idleness. I didn't even think about that. Um, <laughs> idleness here, let me find this here. Idleness is, want, is wanting to avoid activity or exertion, and the, uh, you are addicted to a life of pleasure, gossip, discontent, and self-pity. And virtue says you will not eat that. So... All cultures have their thing. And I lived in a Finnish culture. My family's from Finland. You, most of you know that. So I was living with all my Finnish relatives, and they loved gossip. And I was addicted to it. I will admit to you, before I got saved, and it took a while afterwards because you get so sucked into all that juicy stuff. And oh my gosh, I have the goods now. They do what? You know, oh, now who hasn't, who hasn't Nana told so I can get there for coffee and tell, you know, I'm just saying we can be addicted to weird things. So, so I had to work on this one. This is one of the ones that I had to work hard on. Like I have to give up listening to it, let alone transferring it to somebody else's ears. We all have our hard stuff to deal with. It was hard for me. Thank God I don't do it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anyways, um, so she looketh well to the ways of her household. There is an ever-growing in, in your clear understanding of your responsibilities. Virtue means you're always growing in a clearer understanding of your responsibilities. Let me repeat the key word, your. Your responsibilities. Virtue helps you to understand what belongs to you and what belongs to them. And never shall we cross the line. So now, do we cross the line? Yeah, but you grow. As you grow in virtue, you can understand that uh, that's not mine. That belongs to you, and you need to accomplish what you're supposed to do. 
It's knowing how to apply yourself to working within those given set of responsibilities that God has assigned to you. That God has assigned to you. So one of mine is praying for those teenagers and teaching those precious teenagers. I love every one of them and I am, we're praying for that house to be filled to overflowing. All the kids and I are praying for that. But that's my assigned ability. It's not yours, Debbie. But you've got assigned abilities, not just in the church, but in your family. You know what I'm saying? And if you start getting into teaching my Sunday school class, not number one, now I'm out of a job. <laughs> and it's not where you belong. And so your work doesn't get done either. You know? So um, virtue develops that within us. It's self-governance. And then God reminded me, in Genesis... God gave Adam a very specific task. Here's the garden. Take care of it. That's pretty specific. And then the second task he gave him was, I'm going to march all the animals in front of you, and you get to name them. And whatever Adam named them, that's what the animal was. Can you imagine the fun he had? Like, okay, Lord, give me a few days on this one. Mm. That big nose and the big belly and... Elephant's a big word. I don't know. How did he come up with all these words? You know what I'm saying? Ant, three letters, short, little animal, mm, starts with A, beginning of the alphabet. I don't know. But that was one of his assigned tasks, right? And so he did it. Can you imagine if he didn't name the animals? We would have to be saying, you know, that thing over there that's fuzzy. Well, Juwan, there's 10 fuzzy things over there. Which one is it? <laughs> you know? So virtue teaches us what's our responsibility. And then when you learn what your responsibility is, it says she looketh well to that. You give yourself to learning about it, moving in it, and moving into excellence as your skills grow. And voila, guess what's out on the back desk or on the vestibule desks? The lists for ministry. I was like, Lord, timing is perfect. You all get the chance to grow in virtue as you sign up on those lists. Woohoo! Look at the joy in that. <laughs> There's empty lines out there. I'm not, I'm, I, I know it's funny. I'm trying to make fun of it, but, and I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. But really, when God says, here's some lists, join the group, pick something that you either want to grow in, you don't know how to do, and you want to grow in it, and people will teach you there, or. You already have the skills and you can teach somebody else how to do those skills, so join that group and give your excellence that you already know how to do. What an opportunity in practical supernatural living. Woo! So at the end of this, y'all can, if you haven't signed up yet, go ahead and sign up. <laughs> um, so the word you want to remember with verse 27 is responsibility. How to res and you respond with wisdom and knowledge and capableness. Okay, um, here we go. Verse 16. These are all the ones I remember from long ago that have stuck with me and have never left. Even when I walked out of the church, they just never left. She, verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. So the word considers in the King James is considereth. If a word in the scriptures ends in E-T-H, it means it's a continual working, a continual effort, a continual application. So she considers, she continually considers about that field. 
before she buys it. In other words, she's wanting to expand, but she has to consider, number one, will it take me away from what I'm already responsible for? Number two, will it take away resources that belong to somewhere else in the sphere of my family? And number three, do I have the time and the effort to do it? So it's not bad to want to expand. It's a good thing. God wants us to grow and expand. But virtue considers all of the facets. Do I have the time and the energy to do that right now? And if I do, where are they coming from? Because the biggest lie that my generation fed the world was, as women was, you can have it all. It's not the truth. You can't have it all. Something suffers. Someone suffers. Someone gets lost in the fray. So the wise, virtuous woman and man thinks and talks and works towards expansion, but you also consider all the facets before you do that expansion. And then if you notice, she plants a vineyard. I, used, I said, Lord, why a vineyard? He said, because vineyards can feed your family and they can bring in more resources. Back in agrarian society, a vineyard was a money crop besides feeding the family. So she considered ways to add to her family's resources, not detract and deplete them. I think that's pretty wise, you know? So if you're, when you're going to expand, think about all those things, you know, like who's gonna, who's gonna, where do I have to take this from and what can I bring to? Um, let's see. Okay, next one. Oh. <laughs> Verse 17. Are you putting these up? <laughs> I laugh because I have to tell you how I thought this meant at first. Verse 17. She girds her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. <laughs> so what's the natural way to think about this? So guess what I did? I went and bought weights. Couldn't lift them. <laughs> but I put weights down in the basement. My husband comes home and he says, those aren't for me. I can still see his face. Those aren't for me, are they? <laughs> I said, no, honey. You're fine. You're strong. You don't need them. I have to get in shape here. <laughs> I thought that's what this meant. So I'm diligently lifting weights and getting strong, you know. Okay, that is part of being virtuous. You understand that you're a valuable part of the whole picture and you need to take care of yourself, you know, and you need to stay strong as much as possible. Some, we get sick. It just is what it is. Um, but you need to work with your best effort and your most excellent abilities to stay as healthy as you can. And yes, that exercise really helped me because then I could rototill the garden by myself and Michael didn't have to help me anymore and I could do it on my time. Woohoo! But um, here's the rest of it. You understand that you're a valuable asset and you will do what it takes to remain strong so you can do your responsibilities and add to your family. You find great comfort and satisfaction 
in your labor. That's part of what this means when you do a word study of it. It means when you grow in that excellence and your, she girds your loin with strength, you find comfort and satisfaction in what you're doing. And guess what happens? It creates more energy. Don, as when you get successful, doesn't it make you want to, it just gives you, it energizes you to do more. You know, I'd be canning and man, you start seeing those peaches line up and the tomatoes line up, it just made me more energy to want to can more. I, I like canning, I know that's weird, but it's just, and I love all my little jars lined up by color, you know, and they're just so pretty at the end of the summer and then we get to eat all winter. It was just so energizing for me, but that's what it meant. You stay strong and strength makes strength. Um, it also means using diligence in your employment so um, she girds her loins with strength. So back in this agrarian society of farming and animals and stuff, and you know they all wore long robes. Well, they had to pull up their robes with girdles. They were these long sashes, and they would wrap them. I watched a video. They would wrap them around so that you know women were in the field together. You know? They would wrap it around so that they weren't wrapping around your legs. They were like bloomers. Around preparation so that you're ready to do the work. Here's another piece of it. Continually strengthens means that you put aside all complaining when there's work to be done and you speak life into your work. Isn't that crazy? She knows that if I complain, I deplete my strength. But if I speak life and energy into my work, I can get this done. Give me half an hour and I'll get at least some of it done and I'll be able to, it literally breathes life and energy and vigor into your body so that you can get the work done. The way she speaks, I just, just it's just amazing how God put this all together. Um, here's the last thing about this. Do you see how it says, Oh, that's all right. She continually strengthens her arms. So here we go. You put your utmost strength into the business given from start to finish. That's why she continually has to strengthen her arms. We all have a lot of strength in the beginning. We all can go gung-ho out there. But 10 hours later is another story after you've been hoeing weeds for 10 hours with a half hour break for lunch, by that 10th hour you're tired and the row still isn't done. So I go in and feed the family supper and cook supper and then I know once the kids are in bed, I've got to go back out and finish that row. I, just an example of what my life used to be when I was learning this. If the canning wasn't done after supper, you stayed up till it was done and sometimes it was 11.30 at night when that last canner got done and the jars were on the counter and I could go to bed. And then you get up at 5.30 to feed Michael supper, or breakfast and send him off to work and you start all over again. They were some long days. But, but, 
she un- the virtuous people understand you've got to pace yourself and you grow in that pacing to start it and finish it. So that's what that verse means. Um, there's one I want to tell you, and then I'm going to go back to verse 26, but hang on. Okay, this one, verse 18. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth not out by night. And can I stop for a second and ask, does this make sense to the guys? I know I'm using women's things here, but is it making sense in the whole picture of what virtue looks like? I don't know what Michael did when he went to work, otherwise I'd use those examples too. But <laughs> I was too busy at home, so I'm just going to use what I know. I know what my dad did um, on the farm. Anyways, so, she perceives that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth not out by night. I understood the first part when I was learning this as a young woman. She perceives that what she's doing is good. She has the ability to see that if I'm applying my ability of excellence to what I'm doing, I can see that good stuff is resulting. Well, that all makes sense, right? Okay, here's the key. Her candle goeth not out by night. The first few weeks I was learning this verse, and mind you, I'm into this, like, this is like in my second year of learning all this stuff. It took me a long time, but I would stay with one verse for like six to eight weeks, you know, really learning it. So when I was learning this one, I thought it meant you just stayed up late and got up early and like just chugged along and coffee, another pot of coffee, or whatever it took. That is not what it means, because I promise you, at the end of two weeks, I could not move, I could not breathe, and I was crabby, because I was tired. (laughs) So, after I took some naps and slept all night long with the babies, I um, went back to the Bible study, and I said, I've missed this one big time. It is not about burning the ends, the candle at both ends. It's not about sleeping four hours and hoping you can make it through the next day. So this is what God had to teach me about candles. Where did I go with this? I just had it. Hang on. I just had it here. Oh, right down here. Her lamp goes not out at night. It means... I got to get my, hang on. It's not about burning the midnight oil. A virtuous person understands the need for real rest, not ease and pleasure. But the lamp is the Holy Ghost in you. And she understands that no matter how bad the night is of hardship and deprivation, no matter how deep the sorrow and the trouble, no matter how harsh the accusations and abuses, she understands or he understands the lamp within of the Holy Ghost is there to pray away the fear, warn away the doubt, and blow away the distrust in God. The lamp speaks of a life still burning no matter how dark the times get, without wavering. Even when you're tired, you sleep, but your spirit will not waver, and you will stand firm, trusting in God. You allow the Holy Ghost fire to not go out, 
And I, I will tell you, this is what happened to me, so learn from my mistakes. I let my lamp go out. The sorrow got too big. And the poverty got too devouring. And the abuse was so overwhelming. And the rejection was too big and too powerful. And the way out was to go with people that would just leave me alone. I let my lamp go out. But I can honestly say now, thanks to Sister Burke's very tender heart and gentle spirit, God has given me room to face all of it one memory at a time and he has shown me where he was in all of it that I couldn't see before. And I am here to tell you, I don't care how many meals you go without, God will bring a meal. And I don't care how many words of curses are flung at you, the Holy Ghost is enough. And I don't care how many people reject you inside the church and outside the church. God will never reject you because he can't reject his children. It's not his heart. And no matter how strong the war rages against you, there is a God who will build a wall. And he will put you in the strong tower high in the keep, and the arrows will fly. I promise you, the arrows will fly, and there will be poison on the ends of them. But because you're in his strong tower, if you stay in him, and you don't let your lamp go out, the strong tower will keep you. And the love of God will fill you. And someday, someday, the dark turns to light. So I just learn from my mistakes and no matter what comes, you make sure you look inside virtuous people and you make sure that that lamp inside has a fire because even a fire this big is a fire. It doesn't have to be a bonfire. A flame this big is still more light than the dark. Just make sure there's a light there. Just make sure that your lamp does not go out. The virtuous woman, under, or the virtuous person, I should say, understands that in prayer, and in reading the word of God, it keeps you alive so that you can recognize the voice of the enemy. You can recognize the voice of the world. 
you hear and recognize the voice of condemnation and accusation and know exactly where it comes from. And you can also recognize the voice of deception and God is the power to take all of them down because it's not by might nor by power but by my spirit saith the Lord and he will fight your battles for you. That promise I stand on forever. Don't let it go. So, um, that's some of what I learned from Proverbs. There's a whole bunch more, but I thank you for letting me do this. I'm not kidding. I, it's like amnesia's gone. I remember. I remember who he called me to be. <laughs> Is it not glorious? <laughs> okay, I won't jump. Okay, um, so, <laughs> I want to jump. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> So, um, Hebrews, Hebrews, Paul um, reiterates what Peter said, that you need to conform to God's will in purpose, thought, actions, em emotional well-being, so it results in virtuous living and in right standing with God, and he reminds us, so brace up and reinvigorate and set your slackened, weeping, weakened, and drooping hands set them up in praise, and strengthen your feeble, palsied, and tottering knees. Make them strong and lock them in and stand in the virtue of God. So I would like you to, I know this is a weird request, but God showed me Isaiah 35. It's called the joy of the redeemed. The heading over it in my Bible was the joy of the redeemed. So I'm going to read it to you, but I just don't want you following along. I want you to just listen. This is the song of the virtuous people that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Their wilderness and their solitary places shall once again be glad for them. Their desert shall rejoice and shall blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon will flow into that desert. And they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. So strengthen you, your weak hands, and confirm those feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not, for your God will come with a vengeance, and even God will come with a recompense and save you. And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap, as a deer, and the tongue of the dumb will sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in your desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land will be springs of water. In the habitation of dragons, where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. 
and a highway shall be there, and a way, and it will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not pass over it, but it shall be for those. The wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. No lion will be there either, nor will any ravenous beast go up on it. It won't be found there. But the redeemed are going to walk on it. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return. And they'll come to Zion with songs. And everlasting joy will be on their heads. And they shall obtain joy and gladness. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Praise the Lord. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of this family. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor, it's your job to read this song.